Hello, it's another episode of Shadow Talk. Yes, it's that time again. In this week's episode, it's lock, stock and rue smoking barrels as ransomware in the headlines again. We've got plummeting stock as a result of data breaches and the Triton malware is attributed to Russian government entity. All this in this week's Shadow Talk. And joining me this week, we have got it as always, research and strategy analyst, Rafael Amado. Hello, Raf. Hey, Mike. It's a nice role reversal today. I get to sit back. You get to be the host. Yeah, you get to um, provide all of the actual content in this one where I... Yeah, to be honest, it's probably more work for me actually having to speak. You've got an easy job. I'm just keeping the ship steady. And also with us this week, we've got Harrison Van Riper. Hello, Harrison. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Good to be back. Lovely to have you back. I'm glad you, we've got both of you here to talk about the topics this week. Um, in particular, the first story which I want to spend a good amount of time on is ransomware, which has hit the headlines significantly uh, in this month. Yeah, I'm going to have to maybe defer to Harrison on this one, because for once, I don't know too much about what's going on in the ransomware scene. I've sort of missed the boat. <laughs> this month. Harrison, is it Gangcrab again? Let me guess. Keep the keep it nautical. Uh yeah, I mean Gangcrab is definitely involved, but um I think you know October was a big month for ransomware, um, specifically affecting smaller public entities, which uh was kind of the focus of the research for this week's intelligence summary. So kind of a shameless plug for for all of our listeners to go and download and read that. Um but uh, but yeah, so like over the last six months or so, ransomware attacks have really ebbed and flowed, and October was definitely a, a peak month. Um, it's not really clear really why these attacks occur in waves like that, uh, but it's definitely an interesting kind of point. Um, and is this, I'm interested, we, we constantly have occasionally a, a whole load of instances of ransomware reports. Is this an increase or just collection bias, do you reckon? Uh, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a collection bias. Uh, you know, we see that the increase uh, of incidents reported is is different than the month before and then, you know, the month before that, uh, which is kind of why I like looking at the longer term view of kind of what's going on to, to data like this. Um, I think the bigger trend is that these waves kind of go, they go in waves, so it increases and decreases month to month. Um, so that's kind of the, the main takeaway, I think, from from this. I guess the other thing is that a lot of these ransomware campaigns are, are just that. They're run as campaigns. So they will send out usually emails en masse at a particular time. So it's probably not a surprise that you have a high number of reports in a short period of time over like a week or a month because that's when the campaign is is at its height. That's what yeah. I would assume. Exactly. And I guess another piece to those campaigns is the targeting of specific sectors. And, and one thing that you see increasingly cropping up is specifically against government and, and public institutions. Is there a reason why, why we may see these uh, targeted a little bit more than, than other sectors? These government institutions and public sector organizations seemingly are more likely to be targeted due to the perception that they lack more established security controls. Uh, so, for instance, the city of Atlanta experienced a pretty hefty Sam uh, Sam ransomware infection uh, earlier this year in March. And then, you know, in the following six months between April and October, the state of Georgia itself 
kind of all over experienced a higher concentration of ransomware attacks um, affecting those, you know, smaller public institutions. Um, so I think it's fair to say that attackers saw an opportunity uh, from the pretty high profile SAMSAM attack and decided to try and capitalize on that. I'd, I'd add something to that as well. I think one of the reasons public institutions or government bodies, uh, state authorities are also highly targeted is probably, well, what, what is the aim of a ransomware infection? It's to extort the victim. So if you're going to go for something like a transport authority or a state body, which is obviously a very pivotal administrative body or a transport body, which is controlling the amount of trains or buses going through a particular city, that's the type of organization that can't actually afford to be offline for a long period of time. So as well as the perception of them maybe not having the best security controls, there's probably a perception that these are the type of targets where it's most crucial for them to get back up online and running as quick as possible. So perhaps these are the organizations that will pay up quicker or just pay up at all. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. I think, um, you know, from the stuff that we were looking at over the last six months, there actually were uh, relatively few that actually reported that they had paid the ransom. Um, but even so, I still think that it's that perception, right? It's the perception that they will pay. So that's what's going to drive more attacks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, w one thing, obviously, we've talked about Sam Sam. Um, Raphael brought up GANCRAB. I'm, I'm particularly interested which are the most popular variants at, at the moment. Have you done any research into that, Harrison? Yeah, you know, again, a part of the a part of the research that we were doing this week, um, you know, Gancrab definitely popped up. Bitpamer was pretty popular, and then Trickbot, you know, has been reported a lot recently. Um, it's really Gancrab and Trickbot that uh, get the headlines, though it seems. Yeah, for for listeners not familiar with with Trickbot, it's been traditionally a banking trojan, which has looked to harvest uh, log on credentials and banking customers. But um, I think a couple of months ago, perhaps it added some screen locking capability, and there've been some further updates this week with that particular functionality. So it's interesting to see that uh, whipping up a bit of uh, momentum. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, with, specifically with the screen locking functionality, a lot of people, this was reported earlier in the year, and there's been kind of various variants that have popped up um, that have this, this screen locking functionality. Initially, people thought that this might suggest that TrickBot was going to transition its functionality into more of a ransomware rather than a banking trojan. Uh, but there really hasn't been any kind of reported attacks of ransomware from TrickBot. Um, and actually it seems that it's more functioning, it's more acting as a password stealing function and just a part of that attack chain rather than, you know, a whole new functionality. Yeah. And obviously they, they're all developing um, significantly in different variants and, and GANCRAB is definitely one that does develop and has different versions coming out. W which version are we on now, Harrison? Yeah. So we're on, we're on version four. Um, so I think in July, it was reported that the fourth version of GANCRAB was discovered. And, you know, GANCRAB has been reported a lot throughout this year. Um, it's received several updates from the developers. And usually that tends to imply that, um, you know, it's been pretty successful. You wouldn't continue updating a software if it wasn't successful. Um, so, so yeah, it seems that that's the case. Have we? What do you think about having a a nail in the coffin of Gancrab with the the news that there's been a 
a decryptor released for for GANCRAB and allowing victims to decrypt their own files. Um, obviously, that's not going to mean the end of ransomware or even the end of GANCRAB, uh, but it's certainly a step forward. Um, for those that perhaps are infected by different ransomware or are interested in how they may defend against it, have we got any nuggets of advice that we could offer? Playbook. <laughs> I'm, channeling, I'm channeling Ray Colland. He loves the idea of a playbook and I completely agree with him. It's not just ransomware, but many different other types of attacks. You should have a playbook for your organization. In terms of ransomware, as well as doing the standard things of uh, having backups and everything, you need to also have a play-by-play account or a checklist or a process for what you're going to do if you are unfortunate enough to have a ransomware infection. How will your incident response team manage? What will your SOC do? What will your security analyst do? Do you need a PR team to come out and say something? Do, do legal need to do anything? Uh, do you have a process in place for actually paying the ransom if that's something that you want to do? Or do you have insurance? Do you know how to contact your provider? All these different types of questions are not questions you want to be asking yourself for the first time after a ransomware infection. You need to be thinking about them beforehand. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, to, to put it extremely simply, prepare for the worst but hope for the best. Um, you know, I think that's obviously a very simplified way of saying it, but I think it does apply here. All right. Thanks, chaps. On to the next story of the week, and that has been another data breach. Um, this time it's Cathay Pacific, um, 9.4 million records um, exposed. Anybody else got breach fatigue? Does anybody care about this? Should we care? Should we care? I mean, customers of the airline should probably care. I think in terms of, I understand what you mean in terms of breach fatigue. It's like every every week we get a new news of a new breach. And I think it really depends on the type of data that's leaked or compromised. But generally, I would say, yes, you should care. And when we analyze breaches, one of the first things we look for is whether customer credentials or payment details have been exposed. I mean, if it's payment details, that's quite self-explanatory. It could be used for fraud. Credentials, it gives you access to account takeovers especially people who are reusing passwords across accounts. Now, in this case with Cathay Pacific, they've said that no passwords or full loyalty profile information have been compromised. However, there's still a large amount of personal data being exposed. So you've got date of birth, passport numbers, identity card details. Now, these are all really, really valuable for identity fraud. You've also got exposed full names, nationality, contact details. And if you just think of the type of security questions you usually get asked, whether it's online or over the phone or in person, you have a lot of that info here already that you can bypass security checks with. So I think there's enough information there to perform different types of identity fraud. Yeah, I'm curious what the actual trade in passport details is online from, from what I've seen. It's mainly scans and, and things like that. Is, that. is that fair to say? Yeah, there's different types and formats of passport and identity information online. So you've got scans, like you said, so like a, a picture showing the passport details and the ID number, for example, they're, they're relatively cheap. They're used for, they're useful for fraud, fraudulent activities such as opening bank accounts under a new identity or a different identity. And I've seen them sold for as little as 10 to $20 a piece. And then the other side of the spectrum, you've actually got physical passports, which are of course harder to acquire. Now that can be a legitimate passport that's been stolen. And then they're going to be forged ones as well. I've seen online the price range between 5000 to 15000 
And certain passports are more valuable than other ones. I mean, Russian ones are widely available. The US ones, for example, are a lot more popular in demand, uh, but I'd say maybe a bit harder to, to come across. Yeah, and I've seen kind of advice from Cathay Pacific about remediating this risk. And, and one thing that always comes up is enabling multi-factor authentication. So um, just another reminder for, for any consumers to, to go down that route. One thing that's interesting with this case is kind of how much of an impact this reported incident has had. Um, the 6.5% uh, percent plunge in the share price, which um, I don't know how much that um, translates to, but I think that's a fair whack of money. Um, $320 million. Hey, look at that. It's a lot. Rain <laughs> on over here. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, it is a lot. Uh, but then if you look at the Facebook share price, of course, since the announcement of that breach, that's, that slid by $13 billion. Um, obviously, different size companies, but the takeaway is that these data breaches really do have an impact on the on the value of the company. So you should be be taking it seriously. On that yeah, note, sorry, Mike, carry on. On that note, do do we have any updates on the Facebook breach? Well, we did have an announcement this week. So uh, Facebook have actually been fined five hundred thousand pounds. So yeah, you talk about the share price price plummeting and how that affects their overall value, but also they need to take into account the fines that come come off their, uh, in terms of their profits at the end of the year as well. So Facebook fined 500,000, half a million pounds. Wow. By UK Information Commissioner's Office. And yeah, that doesn't actually seem like a lot for Facebook, which is a multi-billion pound company. And this is specifically about the Cambridge Analytica controversy. And I was looking into it. And the reason this fine is actually seemingly quite low is that this is actually the maximum fine allowed under the old data protection rules that applied before GDPR took effect in May. Now, what was interesting for me is that if you compare this to the Tesco breach, so Tesco, a uh, large UK uh, retailer, they have actually been fined £23.4 million by the UK regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority. They got a discount, God knows why, which resulted in a £16.4 million fine. So, Facebook, 500,000, Tesco, 16.4 million. So you can see the difference there. Now, there's, there's, there's reasons for that. As I said, there's the whole GDPR effect in terms of the timings of things, but it's also in terms of what the ICO is able to find people and the FCA, which is a, a body that's been around for a long time and has probably got sharper teeth in this capacity, given that it's, it's also looking at financial institutions as well. So I think going forward, we're going to see more cases where companies are going to have much heavier fines. And it would be interesting to know, had the Facebook um, breach or the announcement of it had to come after GDPR took place, how much larger this this fine would have actually been? Yeah. I think in some cases, though, it's more of a, a statement in and of itself, having the announcement of that. And I think that can be a deterrence. You know, every yeah, little fine helps. Yeah, it was, it was just funny that all this news came out quite nicely in terms of the timing. So this week is Cybersecurity Awareness Week. The theme is technology and privacy. And we had uh, Tim Cook the other day in Brussels tell an audience, it was quite interesting that the Apple CEO will come out and criticize the way large technology companies abuse people's personal data. I mean, to quote him, he says, personal data is being weaponized with military efficiency against us. So data breaches, 
misuse of personal data is definitely the theme of the week. And Facebook, I guess you could call them one of the victims, if you can call them that at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just sidestep that issue of the privacy debate for this podcast. Um, because yeah, no, we devote a separate podcast or two for that. Don't worry, yeah. we don't have time for that today. Pops hot potato on the table and moves on to the final story of the week. And that is news that the Triton or Trisys malware has been attributed to a Russian government entity. Um, for those of you not familiar with Triton, uh, which is also known as, as Trisys, depending on what vendor you speak to, uh, this was a malware that's been targeting ICS, um, discovered in late 2017, um, uh, specifically against an attack against a Saudi Arabian petrochemical company. Now, not going to go into it too much because we have covered it in a previous podcast and we're by no means experts in the ICS field, but there's, a, I think, a, a few interesting things to to tease out of it. For those of you not familiar, Triton is is a malware which when it's installed on on the ICS, the code actually looks for uh, the existence of specific equipment. And if it can connect to that equipment, it then begins to inject new commands. If those commands cannot be accepted, um, then it can go about crashing the system. And that's what happened in this case and how it was discovered. Now, the news this week is that the um, doing some investigation into that specifically found some test files um, which had been going since about 2014, testing against antivirus scanners. And FireEye were able to link some of that to some infrastructure uh, based in Russia at their Russia Central Scientific Research Institute of Chemistry and Mechanics in a district of Moscow. Now, this is interesting because... Um, we kind of assumed at the time, because it was a Saudi Arabian target, everybody kind of was like, yeah, it's, it's Iran. Um, but actually, uh, this research suggests that it was kind of Russia behind it. Now, where I'm going with all of this is, should we care, based on, we thought it was Iran, is it Russia? Should we care about actually who is conducting these attacks um or do we take a leaf out of robert lee's book and think right we should actually be focusing here on the ttps rather than exactly who is attributed to the attack yeah i think you know where attribution comes in handy is when you are kind of assessing the ttps right so you know looking at a nation state such as iran maybe not as as technically advanced as uh russia um but I think that a lot of times, you know, attribution gets the main stage. But if you're a practitioner, you don't necessarily care about who did it. Uh, you more care about who, uh, you more care about how you can stop it or prevent it. Um, so focusing on how the attackers do what they do, learning their TTPs, staying current with new attack techniques. These are all things that people in infosec jobs usually focus on rather than just which country is responsible. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that a lot of the focus is on still on IOCs within the threat intel space, and kind of there's it's always quite hard to encourage people and provide digestible ways and actually digestible ways to actually understand these TTPs. Now, I know if if Rich Gold were on this podcast, he would be screaming "Mitre attack" to me. Um, if anybody was interested in that, they have launched a new website. So I would encourage listeners to check out that and um, have a look at all the different TTPs and the campaigns that they're referencing. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm definitely with Rich on that one. I love MITRE ATT&CK. Um, I know, you know, from my experience doing research for some of our clients, especially those who occupy those practitioner roles that I'm kind of, you know, talking about, um, they ask for reports about why, how, where, and when these attacks happen much more often than the who. Yeah. And I think it's a really important question and, and point to make out. Now we are at the end of the podcast does I'm going to go to each of you and, and ask you for a key takeaway for the week. I'll go to you first, Rafael. All right, I know you said I can't talk about privacy, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to talk about privacy. You're going to let me finish though, right? We'll see where it goes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. As I said, privacy debate is complex. I won't go into it now. Maybe we can devote a future podcast to it if people want, but in spirit of today or this week's theme, I want to encourage listeners to think more about personal data. Give, and we have spoken about it today, not just with Facebook, but also with the Cathay Pacific breach. And one significant thing here is, all right, we can talk about large organizations, tech organizations, how they misuse data. That's really important. Don't want to negate that. But what the Cathay Pacific breach shows is that every third party you use, every service you sign up to increases your attack surface. And you simply can't trust all these third parties to keep your data secure. So what do you do? You can't just ad abdicate responsibility. We as individuals, as organizations, need to also have some agency in terms of how we keep our data safe. So talking about the simple things that you can do as an individual, you can not share your passwords across accounts, you can lock down your personal accounts, you can use multi-factor authentication, you can be selective about what data you give to different companies and services, you can look at permissions before you install mobile apps. So that's for me, just take this away with you, have a think about that, and um, maybe we can discuss it at a different point. Okay. Thanks, Raph. And, and Harrison, what do you got? Some ransomware takeaways for us? <laughs> I was going to steal Rafa's points from earlier, uh, but I think, uh, you know, kind of a key thing to have in place would be a data disaster recovery plan. Um, so having, having that playbook, having that stuff in place before the attack actually happens, you know, the best defenses are just that defenses and they're not 100%. So you know, obviously there, there can be something that goes wrong or something gets missed or something like that. Um, and you want to have a plan in place to, to kind of mitigate against that. So, um, yeah, that's definitely what I would advocate. Okay. Thank you, Harrison. And, and thank you both for joining. Have a lovely weekend. Enjoy any Halloween celebrations and speak to you next week. <laughs>